ago, Alan Knowles sent me an email and said that he would be interested in coming and speaking and sharing with us again, and that his wife Lorraine would be here, but also that uh, Keith and Hannah Thompson uh, would bring him. That was a surprise. Uh, I've known them for many, many years. Um, Hannah is J.L. Williams' sister, and uh, J.L., of course, is my spiritual mentor and dear friend for many, many years. So it's really an honor and a blessing to have you all here this morning. I want to ask Alan to come on up. He's going to share the word with us this morning. And uh, just say how much I appreciate you coming here to share with us. Alan grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, you remember some of his story from when he was with us before. We have some new folks, new faces since he was here last. Um, but I really appreciate this man's love for the Word of God. At a young age, he accepted Christ as a teenager, I believe, and began preaching in the streets. Uh, then went to a Bible college, uh, sat under the authority and uh, leadership of the teachers there. Uh, has been involved for many years, I think, with Walk Through the Bible yeah. and uh, an organization called Africa Leadership. And uh, he's going to share some more this morning about what God's doing in his life right now. He's going to bring the message. But I'd like for us to, to join hearts and uh, to focus prayer on his life and Lorraine and, and their ministry, if we could, for just a minute. Lord, what a powerful thing it is to be called by God, to be a man of God that brings the Word of God. We pray for our brother Alan this morning, Lord, that all the experiences that you've given him in his life, the men of God that he's been able to sit under and, and grow from. The experiences and occasions where you've enabled him to share the word in difficult places. To where he is this morning to share with us in this song. God, I pray that this morning that you would empower him and infuse him with a fresh blessing. Just an awareness, Lord, and a deep sense of the goodness of God and the call on His life. Lord, I thank You for the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the authority and all the things, God, that You've worked in His life. And I just pray that this morning, Lord, You would bring the Word that we need to hear. That we would hear it. That we would do it. And that You would be glorified in it. God, we're just, we bask this morning in your goodness. And we love you in Jesus' name. Well, thank you. Good morning. And thank you, Brother Randy, for those uh, kind words and for uh, praying uh, for us and uh, with me. Lorraine and I, my wife who is with me today, we uh, grew up in Cape Town, uh, South Africa, and that's uh, uh, where we lived and continue to live and serve uh, the Lord uh, through uh, a ministry that seeks to equip, strengthen, ground uh, uh, lay leaders, uh, lay people, uh, church leaders, anyone who wants an understanding of the Word of God. Uh, that's our ministry uh, to do what the Lord uh, called the church to do, uh, to disciple, to make disciples. And uh, you know, as we perpetuate that process, that's how the Lord keeps the church uh, strong. 
the you know the requirements for leaders in the church is very very high. The the, the moral requirements, Paul says to Timothy and Titus, that that character, that life of blamelessness, of living a life above uh, reproach, and then you know being firmly committed to the authority of the scriptures, grounded in uh, Bible doctrine. It's interesting that Paul says it to he says it to the elders in Titus one nine and he says it to the deacons in one Timothy three that both groups must hold firmly unshakable in their commitment to uh, the word of God to correct doctrine so that they can correct and and refute error and that's uh, the ministry that um, we are called to do uh, Satan certainly has uh, very um, numerous ways of infiltrating uh, the church and, and certainly does it through false and wrong teachings. And across the continent and certainly in our context in the country we live in, uh, we see it. We see it oftentimes. Uh, you know, a, a church not too far from where we live had a, had a Mormon come into the building and they asked the person to share a testimony, not realizing the person was a Mormon. We have students who come with a Book of Mormon to our classes and they think it's a new translation of the, of the Bible. People have the Jehovah's Witness Bible thinking it's another translation. Or leaders who use the Watchtower Jehovah's Witness material as their Bible study aids simply because there are scattered scriptures across and, and people just don't know the difference. That is very tragic at, a, at the level of uh, leadership. And so we want to address that issue, uh, you know, where people don't have access to the Word of God. There are many fine uh, seminaries in our country, uh, and those who can go should go. But, um, you know, I am particularly concerned for uh, young men and lay people, uh, anyone who wants to know the Bible, because I grew up in a context where I didn't know the Bible for many, many years. And I am here but for the, the grace of God. And so that's the ministry we do. Uh, we probably have about 40 or 50 students that we work with in three different towns at the moment. Four hours a week just teaching them how to study, interpret the Bible, how to preach the Word of God, uh, how to understand Bible doctrine, and then to affect the church in discipleship. As you remember to pray for us, uh, you know, there are many, many towns in that country, particularly rural towns, where people have no access to Bible training. You can go into those communities and there are many churches, but none of the leaders will have any training. A few years ago in a city, a two-hour flight from where I lived, I went and I used to go three, four times a year and spend a week in this community and there were people who came to the class every day for a week from 9 till 1 o'clock, every day. And they were older people. And there were two people who came from working a night shift. They'd start 7 at night and 7 in the morning. And they'd come 9 o'clock and sit in the class till 1 o'clock. My job was to keep them awake. <laughs> but um, they, uh, they wanted to know the word of the Lord. And uh, maybe a month ago, uh, we got a letter from one of them. Just saying how much and the difference that the word of the Lord has made in their lives. But there are many of those kind of communities. And 
as you pray that the Lord will open those doors for us to be able to go into those places uh, and equip and affect the church. <coughs> but I want to uh, bring you the word of the Lord uh, this morning. And I want you to turn with me to the first book of Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5, where, um, where Paul uh, speaks uh, words uh, to a church that he had uh, recently uh, planted. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. And there's, uh, there are the, the, there's this trilogy of verses with this one unit of thought. Verse 16 to 18 where Paul says, Be joyful always, verse 16. Verse 17, pray continually. And verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, uh, that's the verse for our exposition this morning, where Paul says, pray continually. Uh, some translations read, we must always pray, or we must never stop Pray. Uh, Corrie ten Boom, Dutch uh, lady, a family, uh, gave refuge to many of the Jews who were being the target of the extermination of Hitler. A wonderful Christian lady uh, made the statement, she said, is, is prayer the steering wheel of your life, or is prayer the spare tire of your life? Is prayer the steering wheel of our lives or is it the spare tire? Spare tire is very handy if you get a flat wheel, but it's it's not essential to the movement of the vehicle. Is prayer the steering wheel of your life? It's interesting that Paul, you know, in this very succinct statement, pray continually. You know, this letter is a pastoral letter. At the heart of this book is Paul the pastor writing and his tone is pastoral and he writes to the sheep as, as the shepherd. Paul had been with him for three weeks, started the church and because of persecution Paul had been forced out of Thessalonica and out of his longing to see them he can't come back to them, so he writes this letter as a pastor to this church. And when you look at this phrase and in the context of Paul the pastor writing to a church about what church life is about, it's very interesting. He says, Pray, pray continually, and pray clearly in the mind of Paul and in Paul's instruction to this church is. That prayer is important. Now that's pretty basic to us as the Lord's people. But you know, as Corrie ten Boom said, is prayer the steering wheel of your life or the spare tire? And, and many times we live by the adage, you know, when everything else fails, try prayer. You know, preachers always have uh, three points, even if the sermon is pointless. I'm going to just give you you two points from this text. 
Prayer is important. That's the heart of this verse. Pray continually. And prayer is important, number one, because it's a command. This verse comes to the Thessalonians as a command. Pray continually. Now, there's a couple of things about this command that we need to notice. Number one, notice its authority. You know, prayer is important. It's a command. And, and look at the authority with which this command comes to the people. It comes with apostolic authority. Paul says in verse, um, he says to the, from verse um, 25, listen toward the end of the verse. He says in verse um, 27, I charge you before the Lord. To have this letter read to all the brothers. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read. This letter that Paul writes as an instruction, you know, he, he writes with such authority that he says, This letter must be read in your church. Now, I can't do that in the church I go to. I can't uh, mandate that, you know, if I feel led to write a letter to the church, that it must be read. And neither uh, can you. You know, you have to go through the elders. But, but Paul writes uh, with the authority of one who has been given the care and the guardianship of the church. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 4, he says, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And, and that authority comes by virtue of the fact that he is an apostle. He is one who had seen the risen Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, he says, The things we write, it's the command of the Lord. And, and he equates his writing with scripture. So when Paul says to this church, pray continually. That command comes with the authority of the word of God. And so, prayer is important in the life of your church, in your own individual life and mine, because it's the authority of the Word of God that calls us to pray. But secondly, notice the frequency. He, Paul writes and he gives this command to pray. Notice the frequency of prayer. In the life of Paul. And I'm going to show it to you in this letter. You know, Paul doesn't just speak to them about praying. Paul doesn't just say to them, you know, pray. But, but that is something Paul does. Notice the frequency with which he talks to them about prayer. Chapter 1 verse 2, he says to them, We always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers. We continually... Remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by the Holy Spirit. Continually. Paul says we continually pray for you people. That's the frequency. Paul says prayer is important. It's a command. It comes to them with the authority of an apostle. But Paul practices the principle that prayer is important. And you see it frequently. He says in chapter 3, he says to them in chapter 3 and verse 12, uh, verse 10, verse 10 he says to them, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. Night and day. 
Paul is saying, we frequently pray for you. It's our habit, daily habit. Paul is wanting to come to these people and God doesn't allow him to come to them. And then he says to them in verse 12, We pray that the Lord will make your love increase and overflow for each other. And then verse 13, May the Lord strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in His sight. In chapter 2 of... uh, Sorry, chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, when you turn the page, he, chapter 1, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 11, he prays for them again. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. And so, prayer is important. And you see the frequency in the life of the Apostle Paul. It is very noteworthy. You know, Paul is considered to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. And throughout Paul's epistles, Paul will frequently call people to pray. But it is noteworthy that in the life of our Lord, Jesus Christ, we see the pattern for prayer. And how our Lord, uh, God, the Son, exemplifies it in His own life. And you just need to read the Gospel of Luke. And if you read from Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 11, you just need to read those chapters... And almost in every chapter, there is a reference to the Lord praying. He's either praying or there is an inference that he is praying. But Luke 5, uh, 16, 17 is probably the, the most telling phrase in the Bible where it says, The Lord often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The frequency of prayer. And does our Lord not teach us, Luke 18, 1, we must always pray. But this command comes to this church with the authority of the Apostle, the authority of the Word of God. It comes with Paul's practice that prayer is something he frequently did. But but why pray continually? Now, he's not saying that you must do nothing else but pray. He's saying prayer is important, something we should always do. Notice the necessity of prayer. These three verses, you know, they come together. Be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. Prayer is absolutely necessary. It's, it's It's a necessity. It's a necessity because it's the will of God. It is what God has will. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 1 in chapter 1 verse 1 of Thessalonians, this is why prayer is necessary. This is why it's a necessity. Prayer is for our spiritual survival. He says, Paul, Silas, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We find our you know, we find our lives in the Lord. You know, theologians call our union in Christ that we are in Christ. The Bible teaches us uh, before we, uh, we came to Christ uh, and we were born again, we were in Adam. The new birth, we are placed in Christ. If anyone is in Christ. 1 John 5.11, this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, this life is in His Son. 
John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Paul says to this church, pray continually because it is absolutely necessary. So prayer is important. Now isn't it interesting that he writes to this church, this church is three weeks old, they don't have a pastor. They don't even have, um, as far as we know, they don't even have designated elders because Paul had three, three weeks with him and he had to leave. And as he writes to this church about what it means to be a church and what it means to live out your life in and through a church, and as he writes to them about what constitutes church practice, this is interesting that he would make prayer a foundation. Pray continually. And because prayer is a command, we must pray. Because prayer is a command, it is important. And because it is important, it is something we must do. I don't know how many of you know the name Hans Kuhn. Hans Kuhn, I don't know if he's still alive, but was a Catholic theologian. Hans Kuhn wrote a book. It's a 602 page book and it's called A Theology on the Christian Life. Now, 602 pages is massive. And I haven't read it, but I've seen it in a library. 602 pages on the theology of the Christian life. In other words, the important things about the Christian life. But he didn't write one. There's not one reference to prayer. Not one. And somebody said to Hans Kuhn, why did you not write about prayer since you wrote about everything that's important to the Christian life? And Hans Kuhn said, to be very frank with you, the, Her- the, the Vatican harassed me while I was writing the book. The publishers had me on a deadline. He says, to be very honest with you, I simply forgot. I forgot to write about prayer. The theology of the Christian life, and he forgot to write about prayer. And many times, we forget to pray, don't we? I mean, we just forget to pray. I mean, we, it's not that we don't want to pray. It's not as if we plan not to pray, or we just forget. I mean, I know, uh, the Lord's Day on a Sunday is probably the most difficult day for me, because I'm always preaching, and so I want to get up early, and I want to go over my sermon, I want to get ready, and so I can get swept away by the good things and neglect the important things. Prayer is important because it is a command. But the second point that Paul brings out of this text about the importance of prayer is, Prayer is a command, number one. But secondly, it is because of the challenges that this church faced. This church faced particular challenges. And it is in that setting that he says to them, pray continually. And you face the same challenges today. And I face it. And regardless where the Lord's people meet today, we face the same challenges today. This is why we ought to pray continually. And let me show you the first challenge that they faced. They faced the challenge of trials. Listen to what he says to them in chapter 1 and verse 6 about trials. And it is because they are facing trials 
that he says to them, pray continually. He says to them in chapter 1 verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. That word suffering or trouble or tribulation, depending on your translation, is a word he uses frequently in this book. In chapter 2 verse 14, he's going to use it again. He says, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things which these churches suffered. In chapter 3 verse 4, he's going to say to them, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. In verse 3, he says to them, we want no one to be unsettled by these Trials. And as you read through this book, and particularly 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, this is a group of people who are facing trials. And in that context, he says, you need to pray. Now, the word trial or trouble, depending on your translation, is the word that was used. Uh, Stephen used it. Acts 7.10. Stephen used it. When Stephen describes the life of Joseph in Genesis, and how Joseph... When he summarizes the trouble of Joseph, how his brothers took him, tried to kill him, threw him in a pit, and he was taken out of this pit and sold as a slave, and he ends up in uh, Egypt and he's in prison. This is how Joseph, uh, Stephen summarizes Joseph's life. He says, God rescued Joseph from all his affliction or trouble. He uses the same word. This word trouble, affliction, trials is the word that was used when they made wine. They would take the grapes and uh, put it in a tub and they would stamp on the grapes. And they would crush the grapes. And the juices of the grapes would flow. That's why I don't drink. <laughs> and that experience became known as a crushing experience. And so they used that word. When life crushes you, squeezes you. It's the word that talks about when, when you find yourself in a pressure situation. Now this church is going through troubled, tough times because they became believers. Because they are serving God. And as the pastor he says to them, Pray continually, you are in trouble, you're going through difficult times, keep on praying. That's James 5.16, that's what James uh, says to the uh, Lord's people, if anyone is in trouble, let that person pray. And many times that's how God gets us on our knees and that's how God gets us uh, gets our attention. Abram Lincoln said, I have been driven to my knees many times by the overwhelming conviction there's nowhere else to go. We ought to be praying, we ought to be people of prayer because of the challenges we face. We, we, we live in a fallen world and we face trouble. We face crushing experiences. And what does James say to those who are facing trials? He says in chapter 1 verse 
tooth and three. He says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And then he says in verse 5, when you're in the trial and you lack wisdom, ask God to give you wisdom. You know, in the trial, God uh, wants us to exemplify a response that glorifies Him. And in the trial, we need God's wisdom so that we will exemplify a godly response, a, a biblical attitude. So that's why he tells them, pray continually, because you, you are facing trials. They face the second challenge, chapter 4. They face temptation. And so, as these people grapple with temptation, he says to them, pray continually. Because Paul had sent Timothy to them, and because Paul couldn't go, so he sent Timothy, and Timothy comes back in chapter 3, and Timothy tells Paul about what is going on in the life of the church. And Paul, as the pastor, realizes now that they are not just facing trials, but they're facing temptation. In chapter 4, the first eight verses, he writes to them about their temptation. But he begins chapter 4 by saying, we want you to know how to please the Lord. You know, he begins chapter 1 verse 1 and he says, we want to instruct you how to live in order that you may please God. That's the essence of the Christian life. It's living a life that pleases God. You read Ephesians 5, 9, and Paul says, find out what pleases God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, we make it our goal, our aim, our ambition to please God. Now, they're facing temptation now, and he says to them in verse uh, 3, it's the will of God that you be holy, that you avoid sexual immorality, that you learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. And, you know, these Thessalonians, they come out of a very decadent Greek culture. And they come, and they're the minority. And Paul says, it's the will of God that as a church, that you live a life that pleases Him. And the spiritual battles we all deal with when it comes to our temptations, Paul says, we fight that battle with God's weapons. We fight it with spiritual resources. And how do we do it? He says, pray continually. One of the first verses I learned as a young Christian and you know, was this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. But it's only years later that I I read verse 7 and I saw the connection. And verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Lean on the Lord. When it comes to our temptations, in whose strength do we stand? Do we stand in our own strength? Do we lean on the Lord? Do we deal with temptation, you know, common sense, uh, you know, this is the way? Or do I say, I am weak, I need help, and I cast myself upon the Lord? 
There was a, a pastor one day. He was the pastor of a little village, country, little town. And he, he came down the street one day. There was a pub, you know, where they serve wine in England. And as he came down the road, he saw one of his members, George, come stumbling out of the pub. And he stopped and he said, George, I'm very disappointed in you. You're drunk. George, I taught you that you must treat wine as your worst enemy. George said, that's true, Reverend, but you also taught me to love my enemies. <laughs> and many times, you know, we have that attitude. Uh, we must not treat sin and temptation like a therapy. <coughs> we are facing temptations. The onslaught is relentless. It is intense. We are being bombarded across the board. And those of us who, who may be winning the battle in some areas of our lives, we need to remember our brothers and sisters. He says to them in chapter 5 and verse 14. He says to them, I urge you brothers, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, help the weak. And there were those in this church who were weak. And Paul says we must help those who are weak. And one of the ways we help those who are weak is mistrustful. When you come to the Ephesians 6 passage, the passage on spiritual warfare, that we are in a spiritual battle. And Paul uh, lists all the, 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 the pieces of this armor. He talks once about the belt and talks once about the sword and it talks once about the helmet and the breastplate. He mentioned all those things once, but from verse 18 to 20, almost five or six times he mentions prayer. And almost five and six times in two verses he says pray. Pray at all times and, and then he says and pray for all the saints. In the context of that spiritual battle. And you know, the, the size of your fellowship this morning, you, you, it's small enough for people to be able to pray for each other. By name. And carry each other before the Lord. We must pray continually because of the challenges we face. We face trials, number one. We face temptations. But there's a third challenge that they face. And that's why he said pray continually. It's the times in which they live. They look at the times he describes. And he describes it in, particularly in chapter 5. He, he talks to them about the Lord's return. He says to them uh, from verse uh, 6 downwards, he speaks to them about the Lord's return. But he says to them in verse 5, You are sons of the light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. Self-control. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. He's talking to them about the Lord's return. Every chapter of this book mentions the Lord's return. Chapter 1 verse 10, they are waiting for the Lord's coming. Chapter 2 verse 17 and 18, he talks about the Lord coming and how that these Thessalonians will bring uh, joy uh, 
and fruit to the ministry of Paul. He talks about the Lord's coming in chapter 3 from verse 13 to 14. Chapter 4, he speaks about the Lord's coming. You know, the dead in Christ will rise first. In chapter 5, he talks to them again about the Lord's return. Paul is saying to these people, the, the Lord's coming back. We live between the time of our Lord's first coming and our Lord's second coming. And our attitude must be one of vigilant prayer. Pray continually. The Lord is coming again. You know, I know people, uh, when you talk to them about the Lord's coming, uh, you get the impression that they are on the organizing committee. I mean, there's nothing they don't know about the Lord's uh, return. The point is not to have our theology of the Lord's coming so accurate. The point is living in the light of the Lord's return with expectancy. And the Lord and the disciples make this point when they speak about the Lord's return. Mark 13, Jesus speaks of our Lord, of the Lord's return. And Mark 13, 32 to 36, five times in those verses, this is the Lord's application. He says to them, watch. Five times. Six verses. He says, be on your guard. Be alert. Watch. And he keeps on saying to them, watch, watch. Luke 21, 34, uh, Jesus ends his uh, discourse on his return and he talks about all these signs. And what's the application? Watch. Peter says to the believers in 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled. So that you can pray. Jude speaks of this application of watchfulness. He says in Jude 20, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray. Keep yourselves in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of the Lord to be revealed. And Paul says to this church, and he says to us today, the Lord is coming. Our attitude and our response must be one where we pray. When Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, men must always pray and not faint. In chapter 17, he talked about his return. As it was in the days of Noah, it will be in the days of the Son of Man, as it was in the days of Lot. And then he comes out of that Discussion and into chapter 18, verse 1, and he says, We must always pray. <clears throat> a few years ago, Larry King uh, interviewed a theologian on CNN and, and talked to a theologian. Larry King is a Jew, and Larry King said to him, Is it true that Jesus Christ is coming again? And the theologian said, I'm sorry to disappoint you, sir, but that's a rumor. Jesus warns us about the spiritual carnage. You know, as we approach the end of the age, the Lord warned us. Does Paul not say to Timothy, 
that the Spirit clearly says in the last days that many will abandon the faith, follow things taught by demons. The kind of spiritual deception that is so rampant in society today. And the Lord says to us, we must be alert spiritual. Now, please don't answer me, but those of you who were in church on last Lord's Day, don't answer me, please. I'd like to protect the guilty. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you know who preached, and I'm sure you know what passage they preached from. And what, I'm sure you remember the songs they sang. It's incredible how often after a service like this, you know, we can go home and never think about the service again until next Sunday. Because we can just get so absorbed in what we do. I mean, in our country, we have services Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and you preach and people say to you after, you shouldn't have stopped, you should have gone on. They don't come back Sunday night, but you know, they said you should have gone on with your preaching. It's incredible, isn't it, how that once we leave church on Sunday, we can never think, we don't think about God again. Some of us don't open the scriptures. The world is not expecting the Lord to come. The media is not going to remind us that the Lord's coming. That's why we must pray so that we will be vigilant. Awake. Spiritually alert. That's why we pray so that when temptation comes, we don't soil our garments. We, we live lives that pleases God. But he mentions another challenge to them. And it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. That is why we ought to be constant in prayer. And it is because not only of trials, temptations, the times in which we live. But it is because of the thrust of the gospel. The thrust of the gospel. He says in chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us. That the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we will be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. So why, why should the church engage in prayer as a priority, as an essential practice, the thrust of the gospel. Paul says to this church, although they are in their infancy, only three weeks, or by this time maybe a couple of months, Paul says to them, you have been the beneficiaries of the gospel. You have benefited from the gospel. Uh, the, the church of Thessalonica has come into being as a result of Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul says the gospel came to you Will you now pray that the gospel will spread rapidly and that others will hear? That's why we pray. And that's why we must be people of prayer because our ministry is to make disciples of the nations. It's to be the Lord's witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know, the, 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 the missiologists, the statistics are staggering. You know, Wycliffe Bible translators 
uh, tells us that, I think a year ago, uh, you know, there, there were 2,000 languages that had no Bible. One verse in any... Uh, 2,000 languages didn't have one verse of the Bible in that language. And a year ago, I think, uh, they just dipped below the 2,000 number. We need to pray that the word of the Lord will spread and advance. And I'm going to ask you today if, 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 if that is something that you and I incorporated into our prayer lives. You know, that perspective that looks beyond the immediate. You know, there's an island in Asia. If you look on a map, it's just across from Sri Lanka. It's an island called the Maldive Islands. It's, a, it's supposed to be a paradise. The claim of that government is that it's 99.999% Muslim. And they say there's never been one page of Christian literature on that island, ever. But John saw people come. John saw people from around the throne of God, from every tribe, nation, and people. And there will be people. And our God builds His church as we pray, and through prayer the Lord advances My brothers and sisters, as we conclude our time together today, is prayer the steering wheel of our lives, or is it the spare tire? If Bimaya said the tragedy about prayer is not unanswered prayer, it is unoffered prayer. Prayer is important. We must be people who will pray. This is an essential practice of the church. And may the Lord encourage you in the discipline of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord's Day and we thank you of the wonderful reminder that our Lord is alive. We thank you that you build the church, you are building it. May we be faithful today. May we embrace in practice the discipline of prayer. And at the best of times, oh God, we are so weak, we faint, we are inconsistent. We pray that you will warm our hearts. We pray that you will ignite our hearts and continue to awaken our hearts to God. That we will be people who will honor God and honor your command to be people who will pray. We ask it in the Lord's name.